this episode ends up being about, uh, for example, that the English, for example, a long time ago, uh, said they wanted to do the right thing. And with that I'm thinking the abolishment of slavery, for example. But then, for all their good intentions, I think it's pretty clear that they didn't go ahead then and do the right thing. You know, because they went for colonialism anyway. And 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 went for uh, sort of a, a kind of version of slavery, really, which was uh, what, uh, what I like to think of as a rigged world social, economic and political order. You know? So the episode ends up being about that, you know, where you say you want to do all the right things and with the example given in this episode um, I'm talking slavery you know, we, we will abolish slavery we've had a, gr- a good idea we will abolish slavery you know? um, however we're going to keep all the wealth anyway <laughs> you know, that sort of thing so it's about that you know, that's what this episode ends up being about uh, but it doesn't have to be about slavery this episode is about the concept of saying you want to do all the right things but then not actually doing all the right things and the price you pay for that yeah, and this uh, this ends up uh, being a question of greed in the end i think you know because most slavery is based on greed and most other things are based on greed actually too i think you know like world poverty i think that's a product of greed i really do um, and I think at the heart of slavery, for example, in America, uh, was greed more than racism even. Racism's there. Yeah, but greed was probably the real driving force. Um, and you pay for greed, by the way. You, you end up paying. You, know, you think you're getting labour for free? When you've got slaves, you know, the Spartans found out. They had lots of slaves. They were outnumbered seven to one. And um, the Spartans, you know, the Spartan elite, uh, the warrior class, they were outnumbered seven to one by their slaves. And uh, they paid a terrible price for that, really. It, It affected their entire existence, the Spartans. They couldn't even go out a conquering yeah, because if they had have sent armies out across the Mediterranean, for example, conquering, even though they were the greatest warriors on earth at the time, I think there's little argument about that, um, they couldn't actually leave their homeland. They were trapped. They were trapped there by their slaves. Um, and uh, could never leave, could never wander very far away because the minute they all left... Uh, the slaves would have risen up and slaughtered their women and children for a start and taken over. Um, uh, Their slaves were ethnically Greek, I think, by and large, plus a few other peoples they might have conquered locally, you know. Um, It really isn't about colour in the end, the whole question of slavery. Uh, It's it's normally about... uh, I think Sparta just bit off more than it should have chewed 
you know, it, it, it had a major victory somewhere along the line and enslaved the whole place, you know, the whole area. And, uh, g'day. Yeah, good, thanks. Um, and brought back the slaves and then found, oh, my God, oh, my goodness, how are we going to keep these people under the yoke? It's, we're going to have to become an even more super warrior class just to keep the slaves in check. Yeah, and I think some historians have said that's half the reason that the Spartans, you know, along with um, ethical reasons and all that sort of stuff, became a warrior race, was to keep their, their own slaves in check more than anything. If you're outnumbered seven to one, you'd better be a damned good lo- warrior. And the Spartans became damned good warriors. Yeah? But it doesn't have to be about slavery. You, know, you could say you want to do all the right things with respect to poverty, for example, and a lot of people do say all the right things with respect to poverty in the 21st century. You know, like back um, a couple of centuries ago, the English were saying all the right things with respect to egalitarianism, and the French were, of course, you know, they pretty much invented that stuff, you know, um, you know based off previous ideas and all that sort of stuff, you know, Renaissance and all that sort of business, uh, Enlightenment. But it doesn't matter. The point is that everyone was saying a lot of the right words but then they weren't going ahead and doing the right things, you know. Um, the English, the French, whoever, those bloody Belgians, you know. King Leopold, I'm glad his statue's getting pulled down. He seems to have been a right pig. <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't mind quite a lot of the statues. I'm quite happy that they're coming down. I've got no problem with that. You know, in fact, in a previous episode, I, I suggested they should relocate them to the Werribee Sewerage Farm and, and install them in the shallow ponds down there. You have a real sort of area of statues, you know, um, <laughs> for all the bad guys, which is every statue. Yeah, like, you can't be a great man in history, or uh, very few great women in history. Look, there was a few. Um, most of them are silent in history because they weren't noisy enough. Um, all right, now... Uh, yeah, I suggested that. Other people have suggested put them all in a museum so we can reflect soberly. You know, I'd, I'd probably end up going down there and cracking jokes at Leopold's expense. You know, I'm not one for sober reflection. Most of my episodes are comedy more than sober reflection. Sober reflection is the right thing to do, but it's, oh, it's boring. I'd rather, you know, do some satire or crack some jokes or, you know, uh, pull Leopold's pants down, you know, than sit there with a mournful look on my face in some museum. I I really would rather see him installed down in the Werribee sewerage farm in a shallow pond. But that's just me. Some people say put put him in a museum so that we can all sit and have sober reflection. Life is short. It sounds so boring. Put him in a cesspit. (laughs) Have him proudly standing up in there. But that's just me. This is why I don't fit in. No, I really don't. Uh, but, you know, poverty, you know, that, that could be an issue. You know, black lives matter, for example, at the moment. But, you know, poverty lives matter, could matter, in 2,222. And we say we care about poverty now, but we don't do much about it, you see. This is what this episode's about. You know, you might say, oh, I'm all for the eradication of poverty, you know. Uh, but someone in 200 years might say, not enough. You know, because there are statues of fairly enlightened people from 200 years ago who were all for what you might call Black Lives Matter, but they 
they, too much talk and not enough action in their context and in their time. They thought they were good people, but they, it turns out they weren't. And we know that now because we're smarter than them now, you know. And in 200 years from now, people will be smarter than us. And they all know that poverty lives matter. And there is no excuse. No excuse. No matter how much activism you're doing for enjoying a meal while a, a child drops dead of starvation. Have you ever seen that in action? I haven't. Um, you know, the mother crying. And, and there's no excuse for sitting gaily al fresco at, in your local coffee strip and enjoying your life while that happens. In 2222, you might be seen as, as an evil person in retrospect, by then, and I think you will be if we do happen to eradicate poverty, which we probably won't, but let's just imagine that we do somehow. You know, poverty, by some sort of technology means that we haven't invented yet, or whatever, some social, political, economic, technological, internetish method, we manage to eradicate poverty. If that day comes, the people who are living in a world where there is no poverty will take a very dim view of people who once lived in a world where poverty hadn't been eradicated and they will take a very dim view of anyone who was party to that. Even the ones that were saying they were doing the right things, you know, celebrities, for example, or me, because I'm well-fed, are you? Um... They'll take a very dim view, and our statues, because they're going to put up a statue to me after they hear this podcast, you know. There'll be a statue to uh, Charlie Threbbo, good old portly Charlie Threbbo. Um, there'll be a statue of me in all my fatness, um, and it'll be in, you know, the city square here in Melbourne, and, uh, and they'll move that across to the Werribee Sewerage Farm too at that time, because they'll say, look at him, he was fat. Yeah, there's a lot of people who say, oh, yeah, but I live below the poverty line. But, you know, they're fat on McDonald's. Yeah, there's no excuse when you're in 2,222. There is no excuse for your poverty lives matter. Um, you know, just like there was no, you know, Captain Cook, I, I use him as an example often. He was at the enlightened end of the spectrum for his time. So he was pushing civilization in the right direction, in a, in a, I think, you know. Um, uh, there's nuance to that, but, you know, he was at the enlightened end of uh, great people for his time. And, you know, obviously people like, you know, the people who went actually for the abolishment of slavery and all that sort of stuff, Wilberforce and John Wesley and all that sort of stuff, you know, even Queen Victoria, you know, anti-slavery abolishment came in in her reign and yet she oversaw a lot of slavery too and she didn't abolish it on the spot like a good dictator should. She wasn't enough of a dictator. She should have been a dictator much more than she was. She should have absolutely dominated British politics and there shouldn't have been a parliament so that when she did decide to abolish slavery or agree to it anyway, you know, she could, you know, do a Cyrus the Great and absolutely abolish it it was wrong of her to not be an absolute tyrant, such that she wasn't even able to abolish slavery when she did decide to abolish slavery or agree to it, you know. Um, you know, um, in some ways, um, to have a properly left-wing sort of 
uh, ideology you have to be in to totalitarianism, you absolutely do. And, and same goes for if you're into a, a very pure right-wing view of things too, you know, because, you know, for example, Australia did not believe in slavery and yet we had blackbirding and that's because we didn't have a totalitarian absolute power um, tyrant in charge here. You know, so that even though we had abolished slavery, um, the people weren't afraid of the governor and they went around the corner and did blackbirding anyway and, and stole Pacific Islanders and got them to work on um, plantations in Queensland in horrendous situations, in, in situations where they could never go back home anyway, even though they weren't slaves. So, you know, it was wrong. It's always wrong for the leader of a nation to not be a tyrant in that situation because, you know, people say, oh, well, you said you were going to do the right things, but you didn't do them immediately. You know, and the leader says, well, I couldn't because the people are just ungovernable. Well, govern them. You are the leader, are you not? Yeah, I am, but I'm not a totalitarian leader. Well, you should be. You know, a proper left-wing thinker or a proper right-wing thinker, you know, both those guys will agree on that. Queen Victoria was wrong to be not powerful enough to stamp out slavery on the spot as soon as she thought of it. Well, as soon as someone, one of her subjects told her about the idea, you know. She was wrong, yeah. But the point is, you look back in those times and you take someone like Captain Cook, for example, who was at the enlightened end of the spectrum, and you sort of think, oh, no, but against our values in the 21st century, um, you're a bad person. We need to pull your statue down. And Captain Cook might say, I don't care, actually, because he wasn't into statues. So it's a funny sort of thing. Captain Cook wouldn't have cared. He was amazing in a way. He was kind of humble. He wasn't into statues and all that sort of stuff. He, He was just into science. Uh, um, but anyway, yeah, people say, oh, you know, Captain Cook will be turning in his grave if you pulled down his statue here in Australia. And I sort of say he wouldn't have cared one bit. He said, tear it down like I care. I was only down in that area on a voyage of discovery and, you know, measuring the transit of Venus. I wasn't, I wasn't even trying to do conquering, actually. Um, I was down there for more scientific purposes anyway. I couldn't care less. I don't even know what Australia is. I was dead before Australia was, you know, before the First Fleet. I was dead before that. I never knew Australia was settled anyway, and I have no attachment to Australia. I don't care, would have said Captain Cook. I really don't. You know, but a lot of, a lot of other people do care on his behalf, but he wouldn't have cared. This is a kind of humility. Um, anyway, so, you know, people, in our era, we might get owls. You know, we, might, we may cop it in the neck for... Um, for breaking the rules of the 22nd century or the 23rd century, for you know, breaking the rules of 2,222. And uh, we should be careful not to be too chauvinistic as we pull down the statues of people like Captain Cook, for example, and, you know, go for it. I couldn't care less, actually, myself. I'm a Captain Cook fan, but in some senses, as a Captain Cook fan, I'm glad to see them come down. If they come down, I couldn't care less only because he wouldn't care less, you know. Um, so that's that, yeah. Um, but, um, yeah, there's a little bit of a danger, and that's what this episode is about a bit too, uh, that, um, that, you know, if you get too high on your high horse and think you're the best of everybody in this era, you know, wanting all the right things and being a saint, 
in the modern world. Well, it's an old one, but it's a goodie. You know, in 2,222, you might get your statue pulled down too because you didn't do anything despite all your excuses. You know, it's, it's no good. It's no excuse to say, uh, yeah, but I was the best for my time and I was moving the world in the direction that you're in. You can thank me for where you are now, you know, but then again, so can the English say that to you right now in the 21st century. You know, you can try and pull down statues of people who were moving us forward back then, yeah. Um, you know, maybe even George Washington, you know, or whatever. You know, you can pull his statue down. Um, but, you know, he might argue I was moving you in the right direction and you wouldn't be where you are now pulling down my statue were it not for me. So maybe my statue should be there. He might say, you know, he say, no, your, your statue's coming down anyway um, because you do not adhere to 21st century values. You, uh, you slave owner, George Washington, back in the 18th century, you know. So down comes your statue. Uh, but, you know, whatever happens to that guy, you know, might happen to you and maybe it should. I've got no argument with it. I'm not into statues anyway. There's too many statues in the world. I really believe that. You know, who's to blame for that? You know, is that the Greeks and the Romans? Statues everywhere, life likenesses, you know. We should be more like the indigenous people and don't bother with that stuff, you know. Just, just die <laughs> and leave your legacy in, you know... In, in the world in a non-identified way. I think there's some zen to be had in that. I, I actually don't care about statues. They're a bit overdone anyway, so I don't care about them. But the point is, um, if Captain Cook's statue should come down in your mind, not mine, in my mind it should come down, just pull it down, who cares? It's a distraction. Everyone always talking about it, I'm getting bored. Just pull it down so we don't have to have this argument, is, is my feeling. Just pull it down, you know? I don't even want to talk about it. You know, but from your perspective, if you think it should come down to make a big point, um, well, then your legacy should come down too once you're out of uh, vogue for your ideals. And if we should solve poverty one day, your, your, your ideas, you will be a bad person. I think that's, there's little doubt of that, and so will I, um, and because the cry will go up, the cry will go up. At that point in time, poverty lives matter and there is no excuse. Even if you say you were moving the world forward yeah, and poverty would not be eradicated but for you because you were moving the world forward, at that point in time you were still eating well while people died of starvation, children in front of their mothers. There is no excuse. And I actually believe that. Uh, and yet... I am going to have lunch today. How about that? This episode and this podcast as a whole is not about me. And I have no wish to put myself out there as a good person. And there's a very good reason for that. I'm not a good person. Yeah, but I know it. On with the episode. Who educates who, and who has educated who, in the past, and all that sort of thing. And I think with we humans and animals as well, it's a case of we all educate each other. Well, 
not the stupid people. They're not involved, I don't think. But, you know, smart people. I mean, I'm not involved. But, you know, I watch people who are involved and they come up with good ideas. And, you know, I always think of the Mediterranean world, although that wasn't the only world in the world back then. But the Mediterranean world, you know, which was everything from, you know, well, I don't know, Carthage through to Egypt and around through um, Syria or whatever, you know, and up through Turkey and across to Persia and India and across to Greece and Rome. You know, there was ideas sharing all around that Mediterranean world and even further you know, towards the edges of that Mediterranean world, Ethiopia, down south and Sudan. You know, and Sudan, which was um, what we call Sudan now, um, very connected in with, you know, that was Upper Egypt, I suppose, to a certain extent. And maybe Ethiopia was Upper, 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 Upper Egypt and all that sort of thing and so on, you know, and I always think of that world and, um, you know, who made who there? I mean, the Greeks, for example, uh, very much say um, that they got a lot of their ideas for gods and all that sort of thing from the Egyptians, for example. Um, but then they came up with things of their own. Yeah, but then they, the Greeks might say, but it's what we did with it. You know, and they, and they came up with the idea of a new way of thinking, you know, teaching the world how to think. Uh, by that I mean, you know, the way we think these days. Um, you know, um, I won't go into that. They taught us how to think, you know. But then they learned a lot of things from the rest of the Mediterranean world. It was a very fertile arc. <laughs> fertile crescent plus a fertile arc, you know, all the way around there. You know, so they were all part of the same world. Um all these places, you know, um, Egypt and Greece and Rome and Persia and all that sort of stuff, you know, all got ideas from each other and they all educated each other. Um, okay, so there's that. Um, now, there's um, a few lightning rod sort of issues uh, firing away all around the world at the moment and you know, my mind inevitably turns to things like slavery and colonialism and who educates whom on that you know and um, and I feel that's a bit of a two way street too yeah? I think there's been some major cross education both ways between the two parties in the modern world who have been the slaver and the slavey, for example, the parties were all different at different times in history and in different places in history. You know, the, uh, the what we call the sort of black-white slavery and colonialism thing at the moment, it's just a blip in history. It's only been going for a fair few hundred years, hasn't it? You know, so this is just one example of many. You know, they've been... Um, many what people these days would call black on black slavery and white on white slavery and black on white slavery and brown on white slavery and all different colours especially you know like huge slave trades out of China along the Silk Road and all that sort of stuff would you like some silk or would you like some slaves with that as well you know and all that sort of stuff you know? slave markets all around the world you know wherever um, wherever there was a land that had created a civilization that, you know, where slavery could be an economic benefit, well, the slaves popped up. Yeah. And now, um, and, and you get these little uh, 
you get these little or these big moments in history like that one I mentioned before with the Greeks when they taught us how to think and what I mean by that is think in the way that the whole world pretty much thinks these days you know uh, I don't want to get into that I've discussed that another time um, but another one was uh, I think it was pretty much the Europeans and you know I, I, I always think of the English as the least enlightened of all the Europeans during the Enlightenment. Uh, but I also, in a funny sort of way, seem to see a lot of uh, press that sort of says that they were the ones who pushed the anti-slavery thing. You know, they're the ones that kind of came up with that idea the strongest. I don't know if they came up with the idea the strongest. I don't know. But, you know, John Wesley and um, Wilberforce or whatever his name was and all that sort of stuff, you know. And I kind of think that, um, well, the Europeans, but the English educated the world on a brand new idea as far as I can tell of the abolishment of slavery you know so I think the you know for for, am I right or or am I wrong but did the English teach Martin Luther King about the idea of anti-slavery you know abolishment of slavery you know but for the European enlightenment would Martin Luther King have ever come up with that you know and I think not you know maybe Europeans educated, um, well, other races, as it were. No, not as it were. I'll just say it like that. You know, um, on what? Anti, you know, the idea of anti-slavery. Now, like I said, there's ideas sharing right through history. You know, there there, there was, um, I, I hear about it at church, you know, Cyrus the Great. You know, back in ancient Persia, I said, the Mediterranean world, you know. And the English got a lot of their ideas from the Mediterranean world anyway. Um, and the Europe, the rest of the Europeans, you know, when Rome spread up there and all that sort of stuff. I didn't mention Rome before, did I? Just a small omission when, when talking about the Mediterranean world, isn't it? <laughs> um, I didn't mention Babylon either. Uh, anyway, uh, so... Um, uh, so... You know, the, the, yeah, look, I think the English and the Europeans kind of, yeah, they got those ideas from other places too. You know, maybe Cyrus the Great was a tiny little, um, a tiny little uh, impetus, you know, a tiny little, but, you know, did, did, did that, was that idea born with the Greeks? You know, as it turned out, you know, when, when the Greeks taught us how to think in terms of politics and all that sort of stuff, you know, and, and put away your kings and all that sort of stuff. You know, we've put away our kings and queens, um, our divine rulers. We don't have any, really, have we, in the world today? You know, the queen isn't one of those. Queen Elizabeth II, she's not a divine ruler. Uh, She's just a a little ornamental box on my mantelpiece. She really is nothing more. She's just a tool of our constitution. She's not a a queen, per se. You know, not a queen, like a... A pre-French Revolution-style queen, not a like a, a pre-English Revolution-style queen. She's just an ornamental box on my mantelpiece, and she works for me. Yeah, so I think we've you know, and and that seems to have come out of Greek thought. Yeah, it took a long time to develop. Of course, everything does. And um, you know, the Greeks put away their kings and queens. And so did the Romans too. Um, in the whole Greco-Roman idea thought sort of bubble. Um, 
and uh, but they didn't put away their slavery, for example. You know, these things take time to develop, and even our modern form of democracy, you know, took time to develop. Uh, you know, the Greeks didn't have they they. It was important for the Greeks to invent democracy the way they had it, which was just a, not a democracy for all, just a democracy for the elite. But the point is, you can't have a democracy for all until someone comes up with the idea of having a democracy for the elite and this sort of thing, you know. Um, it's about people coming up with ideas, you know. And I, I think the English and the Europeans came up with the idea of the abolishment of slavery. Before that, I think everyone agreed with it. Now, I'm not even sure that Cyrus the Great disagreed with it per se, I think he just made a huge gesture and he was so great and he was a really great guy and a nice guy too as far as I can tell. As nice as you can be when you're slaughtering, you know, and invading and all that sort of stuff. Uh, but that, you know, welcome to the ancient world. Uh, but he was a lovely guy, you know, just the occasional slaughter. Um, and, uh, you know, um, and the occasional, you know, colonial invasion. Um, but... Um, uh, yeah, I think, uh, yeah, I'm not sure that Cyrus the Great, yeah, I don't think there's any evidence that he was in for the abolishment of slavery as a concept. You know, I think he just released the slaves, which is a very different thing. And he did a major, it was a major gesture too, it was a major thing, but he wouldn't have done it had he not been able to do it economically, you know. Just like George Washington probably wouldn't have either. You know, just like no one probably would have. Yeah, uh, look, the English. I know John Wesley was very religious and all that sort of stuff, but would the English themselves have given up? You know, it wasn't just about religion. It was about economics too. The English uh, invented industrialization. well, along with Europe. Yeah. Um, and industrialization kind of made it possible to get machines to do the slavery. Um, so, yeah, you can't give them full credit for coming up with and taking on the idea of abolishment of slavery far before America was even thinking about it. You can't give them full credit for that, you know. You can give them full credit for science and technology. Um, you yeah, know, they were kind of the modern-day Cyrus the Great. It, it was possible to abolish slavery. And then that was mixed in with... Um, Ideas from, you know, Greek thought and religious thought, Christianity and all that sort of stuff. And they mixed all that stuff together, industrialization, Christian thought, you know, um, Greek thought. And, uh, you know, they made this powerful blend which said to them, thou shalt abolish slavery. And they did it. And they deserve credit for that. And they taught the rest of the world that. You know, they taught Rosa Parks that. The Europeans taught Rosa Parks the, uh, the abolishment of slavery is a bad idea and they taught the Africans that too. But I'm going to get on to what the Africans are now teaching uh, the Western world in reverse because it's a two-way street. Uh, I think. Now. Um, okay, so that's that. But then, then at the same time, there's slavery and there's other things too. You know, there's um, colonialism. You know, which is a different thing. Often the two things go together, but that's a different thing. And I don't think, um, yeah, no, the British didn't think that was such a bad idea. They abolished slavery, but they thought colonialism was great. You know? So, you know, and privilege, you know, well, what in the ancient world was called hard-earned privilege 
you had to earn your privilege in the ancient world. You know, for example, if you take um, an ancient, you know, Persian Empire or African Empire, you know, the Aksumites or whatever, you know, um, and or any empire, if you became all powerful, that was seen as a good thing. You know, you ended up with privilege. You know, whether whatever colour you were, black, white, brown, or whatever, or Chinese or whatever, uh, privilege was seen as a great thing. You know, all through history, and um, uh, and it's not. Suddenly, it's not, and it's kind of. I think the Europeans, who who came up with the idea that privilege was a bad idea, you know, that was ro- that it was wrong. You know, I don't think any continent thought it was wrong. I leave the people. I leave some of the small indigenous tribes out of this, and even the indigenous peoples of Australia, because we're talking about um, you know uh, not hunter gatherer mobs and all that sort of stuff. Yes, I know there was a, one mob who had a little bit of aquaculture. Anyway, I'm talking about you know in general. Okay, um, privilege. Yes, look suddenly. And I think it must have come from in the European Enlightenment mostly, you know, that was the fire that swept the world that started telling people in their heads that things like privilege could possibly be a bad thing because it clashed with the ideas of the Enlightenment. Yeah. Um, I mean, there are rappers to this day who still believe in, I think, the master-slave relationship. Um, you know, because um, Africans, for example came on to the idea of abolishment of slavery a lot later than Europeans. Um, you know, it took time for that idea to s- sort of get down there. And, uh, and rappers these days, there's, there's still a lot of rappers that are kind of... They do sound like they want to... Um, uh, they still believe in the idea of one mob dominating the other mob and they're just angry that it's the white mob that dominates the black mob at the moment... And their idea is not to have something like the Enlightenment or egalitarianism or anything like that. They're saying, no, we shall rise up and we shall defeat the whites and we shall be on top of the whites, shall be on the bottom. Yeah, like the days of old. Yeah, because there have been times when that has been the case, you know. I was reading Sinbad the Sailor at one stage to my son and uh, there was a brown <laughs> king and, um, and, he had, and he had Sinbad the Sailor come to, you know, to his court to visit him and um, he was particularly, you know, and he put on a show, this brown king, I think he might have been from Persia and uh, he had all the white slaves uh, lined up on the left and the black slaves lined up on the right. You know, so, um, you know, there are different periods in time. This is just a blip, this whole black-white thing. Um, But there are things that, you know, but I don't mind talking black and white suddenly. You know, I've, 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 I've agreed to come on board with that uh, for a long time. Well, well for most of my life, um, there was no such thing as black because that's the way my mum taught us, you know. Just don't worry about that stuff, you know. But I've, I've come to be educated that we have to worry about that stuff. You know, she said everyone's the same, you know, like, you know, I've got my brothers or whatever. Like, I've got one brother. He says, I couldn't care less what race you are, you know. He, he just doesn't, he, he won't buy into it. He says, hey, if I meet you and you shake my hand and you're a good bloke, you're my mate. And that's the end of it. Yeah, but there's a whole movement now saying that's not enough. You know? You've got to notice that that guy's got darker skin and you've got to compensate for that somehow and have an artificial relationship with that bloke somehow in some way, shape or form. You know, you can't just 
operate with that guy on the same level. You know, you kind of have to accommodate his disadvantage or lack of privilege or something, you know. Um, a little bit, you know, you've got to compensate. You know, a little bit like um, uh, quotas for women in Parliament. We kind of need quotas for people with darker skin in Parliament. You know, that sort of stuff. You've got to actually... Or if two blokes come to you and uh, they're both absolutely equal in qualification, but you've got a, a two, you know, more, you know, all white people in your team and you're trying to hire someone new, go for the brown person. You know, so you've got to... You can't actually take people... at. Uh, you can, you've got to notice their colour. And I'm coming on board with that. You know, I was dragged kicking and screaming to that because I didn't like that because my mum taught me not to do that. You know, but she was wrong. <laughs> Sorry, mum. And that was my wife driving past me. Um, I'm, I, I, I sometimes wander up and down at the front of my house. We've got this great big median strip with gum trees all the way down the middle. And, uh... And, uh... Yeah, it, it, I wander out here and have a chat. Yeah, so um, now this is—I I do find all this stuff interesting, and I'm not an expert. Now, um, so yeah, but where does the education come the other way? Uh, well, the rappers are educating us that you know the tables should be turned. Forget the rappers for a minute. Um, think about people like Martin Luther King. Right, I think Martin Luther King had something, and, and dark-skinned people have something that they can educate uh, white people about. They can say, listen, you had high and mighty words. And I think this is the movement that's on at the moment. And I don't mind using the word black, you know, because I've been to... Do you know I was people of colour not too long ago, but apparently that's an insult now. You've got to stay on social media because one day um, a word that's appropriate on a Tuesday... Yeah, it'll come to pass, a little bit like Andy Warhol, you know, he said, everyone will one day have a moment of fame. And I, 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 I thought of this when I was thinking of that quote before. I was thinking, yeah, you know what it's going to be with social media? Social media, one day everyone's going to have a five minutes of infamy. That's the way it's going to be, because something's going to be appropriate, you know, the word colour. He's, you know, that, that is a person of colour, you know. On a Tuesday, but on a Wednesday, you're going to get smashed if you didn't log on to Facebook and find out that it has suddenly been switched to that person is black. You know, because colour was actually the appropriate word not too long ago, and now black is. And uh, it sounds wrong, you know, because we, we were slowly educated not to say black, and now we're saying, say black, you know. So, all right, I'll say black. So what am I then? You're white. Oh, am I? I thought I wasn't for a while. Well, you are now. Okay. Uh, are you sure I'm not Caucasian? No, no, you're white. All right, okay, I'll go with that. You know, you've got to go with the flow. But, you know, and this is why it's a danger, me not being on social media, because by tomorrow it might be back to colour, and I'll say, hey, hello, black guy, you know? And then um, and uh, they'll say, how dare you call me that? I am, you know, off-white. Off you're what? Off-white. No, yesterday I was told you were black. Not anymore, you know? cancelled <laughs> see look it's it's a danger not being on social media because you might miss out I, I um i got i've been caught out a few times in my life i uh, i found out about i found out the blackface was wrong far too late in life no one told me yeah so it's very dangerous i was listening to an, a feminist author who wrote a book called half cast uh, only about 15 years ago and it was a very famous book, and she's been called out because that's a slur now. And she said, but it wasn't then, so it was an appropriate word then. 
And they said, you can't have appropriate words then. You know, you have to, you know, 15 years ago, you should have looked into the future and saw that the word half cast would be wrong by then and accommodated that in the title of your book. And she says, yeah, but I'm a freedom fighter, you know, and I'm a feminist and um, I'm a person that is fully into Black Lives Matter and all that sort of stuff. Bad luck. You wrote a book called Half Cast, you know, (laughs) cancelled. This is the way it works, you know. And, you know, one day maybe all the world, in all the world, everyone will have five minutes of infamy because, you know, you're going to trip up eventually, uh, even if you're a beautiful person. You know, like Captain Cook, he tripped up. Yeah, he was pretty much the most enlightened person in his time. And when I say that, I mean, you know, counting in only relevant people back then. Not, there's a lot of good people that aren't actually doing anything for anyone. anyone. You know, they're, they're kind of pointless and irrelevant in history. But amongst all the relevant people, yeah, and, and, and they hug themselves saying, I'm a good person, but they're not actually doing anything. They're just sitting in their house and, look, these days they're keyboard warriors and all that sort of stuff, but even there, that's such a crowded market for information that they're nobody's anyway. They just think they're somebody's because they're typing something into the ether, which, you know, just disappears into the ether because there's just so much sheer volume of that sort of stuff. It's irrelevant what you type and what you like. You know, it just, just disappears, you know. Whoosh! You know, your feed, you know, whoosh! You know, something you typed six months ago, nobody else in the whole history of the future world is going to ever read it. You know, it's not relevant. And, you know, you'll die and then people will stop talking about you and whatever you wrote on social media will be irrelevant because it'll just be so drowned, you know. Um, go and find that one drop of water... I dropped in the ocean a couple of years ago out of a dropper. You know, I leaned over the side of a ferry and I dropped a dropper of a drop of water. Uh, could you go and find that, please? You know, it's in the ocean. Um, take take account of all the tides going out of the rip. It's probably somewhere near Iceland by now. You know, find that drop of water. You know? Okay, so that's that. Um, most of us are irrelevant and so am I in this podcast I heard there's something like 75 million podcasts or something, I could be wrong Uh, this one 75 million, you know who's gonna, you know, this podcast does not exist, it's a little bit like the Ark of the Covenant um, the way that was in the movie, you know uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark, the way that was filed in this huge hangar but the hangar was so huge that it might as well have just disappeared Ah, but you always you always had this feeling maybe that arc will come back for a second movie. <laughs> yeah, and but this podcast is like that. It's it's irrelevant. It's not being spoken. I'm not here speaking this thing on this nature strip around the gum trees with my wife tooting and all that sort of stuff, you know? So that's the way it goes, I think. Um but as far as the education, who educates who? Uh, I think the uh, Europeans, yes, they abolished slavery. Um, but, yeah, you know, a little part of that was because they invented industrialisation. You say, oh, yeah, they don't deserve credit for abolishing slavery because they had industrialisation. Oh, yeah, but then they deserve credit for inventing science and technology in that way, you know, and that sort of thing. And when I say the English, I mean Europeans too. And, and to a certain extent, whoever else did anything inventish in the world at the time, but there were uh, not many people did back then um yeah that that sort of exploded in europe 
And, and, and a little part of that is why Europe got to dominate the world. This is why we've got white privilege, because the white people invented stuff. I don't mind saying white these days. I've been educated. Um, but they invented stuff, you know, um, and um, as a result got to, you know, do the scramble of Africa for Africa and co- colonise the world and the sun never sets on the British Empire and all that sort of stuff, you know. They made themselves rich and they used that rich for evil, like any race would Okay, so, but anyway, there was a bit of navel-gazing, you know, by John Wesley and all these sorts of religious people and saying, this isn't right, you know. But that was mixed in with the fact that they could sort of get rid of the slaves. Look, a lot of people in England, you know, it doesn't happen overnight. You know, in Australia here, you know, we had, it was illegal to do slavery and people got around that, you know, with... um you know, uh, blackbirding Pacific Islanders across to Australia. It wasn't slavery, but um, they got around it, you know. It doesn't happen overnight. You know, unless you've got a major dictator like Cyrus the Great, you can't click your fingers and get rid of slavery. You know, people will get around the rules for a while, but that doesn't mean you didn't come up with the idea in the first place. You know, England still deserves credit for abolishing slavery, even though... It still supported slavery for a long time after that because you've got to have the idea for it to slowly work its way through to the community. Yeah. If you say, oh, you didn't get rid of it immediately, you say, oh, yeah, sorry, we haven't got a dictator, you know, like Cyrus the Great. Yeah. Sorry, not sorry. <laughs> yeah. What are you asking for? Yeah, that sort of thing. But, um, you know, it's like the Greeks of old, they do deserve credit. You know, people say, they don't deserve credit for inventing democracy. It was only for the very few, you know. You're saying, don't be an idiot. If they hadn't have invented it for the very few, they came up with the idea and we expanded it later, you know. Um, but, um, But at the same time, the British didn't want to give up some other things, like their privilege, you know, because... And the whole world, look, everyone, when, when the British and all that were doing their slavery thing, everyone in the world agreed with that as being a good idea, I think. Africans, everyone. You know, that slavery was a good idea. It's just the only objection was that, you know, for example, Africans didn't want to be the slaves. They wanted to be the slavers, you know. I, I think that's a fair comment about the world, the world over. Not, not small indigenous cri- tribes in the Amazon, you know, because um, economically, slavery was not a fit at all. And the same goes with indigenous Australia, you know. I'm talking about, look, what is technically the civilised world, civic societies, you know. Right, now, um, so, now this is interesting to me uh, as I think through it. So the education goes both ways, I know that much. And it, it's actually a huge education that even people like me, even people like me, I like the way I see even then, as if I'm a genius, but I'm not. Um, you know, things like Black Lives Matter, I've learned a few things just in this latest round of Black Lives Matter. I have. I've actually done some sort of John Wesley-style navel-gazing myself, and I've ended up being on board with Black Lives Matter, but that's because I've been educated by black people. I don't mind saying black. I don't mind saying black. Smash me tomorrow because it might have gone out of fashion again. Uh, and I actually have, and I've, I've documented that in previous episodes too, that you will never listen to, and neither will I. Uh, yeah. Um, so, 
Um, and uh, but how come the education has come in my direction if it was my mob that invented the, you know that taught Martin Luther King about um, enlightenment ideas and indeed the abolishment of slavery you know if I taught you know when I say I my ancestors if I taught Martin Luther King about the idea of abolishment of slavery how come he was educating me well there's a very good reason for that I think because he was able to. Uh, educate um, because there's more than slavery at play here. Number one, we can't learn, we can't know what it's like unless we reach further back into our history. Um, what it's like to be the slave class or the you know the descendants of the slave class. So we need to be educated about that for a start. But also colonialism because what the British and so on did was they abolished slavery and felt good about themselves, a little bit like Harry and Meghan at their wedding, you know, saying all we need in the world is love and then we can all lie straight in bed. You know, that was the whole, you know, they had a priest there, you know, a black priest, you know, but he was saying love can solve all the problems of the world and these two people love each other. So these people, these two people are not bad people. And Harry and Megan just smiled into each other's eyes and said, we're not the bad people, you know, we're super rich, but we're not the bad people, you know? And, and that was one of those classic cases, first estate, second estate, third estate sort of things, you know, the French Revolution idea, where ultra-rich people find a priest to give them permission to be ultra-rich. I did an episode on that too, I don't need to repeat all that. You know, but that was dirty. <laughs> what was happening there at Harry and Megan's wedding. They were given permission, and so was everyone in the church. They were all super rich too, most of them. Uh, They were given permission by a priest who's been in touch with God, and he was saying, uh, in front, you know, with a worldwide audience of millions. Interrupted by a phone call, that happens. when you're speaking your podcasts into a telephone. <laughs> um, look, you know where I was going with all of that. Well, uh, yeah, the, now the education, yes, this is what the English and, um, I think, did, you know, and the, and the Europeans, uh, those bloody Belgians down in the Congo. Um, what they did was um, they abolished slavery, but they didn't want to give up their wealth, you know, their hard-earned wealth. And then... and. They seem to have earned their wealth in the first instance, but then used that wealth to plunder the rest of the world, you know, as any race would. You know? So they earned their wealth, I think, the Europeans. They got rich by inventing science and technology, basically, in the modern form, and uh, got super rich out of that, but then used that to get super-duper rich you know, by plundering the rest of the world. You know? Uh, scramble for Africa and all of the rest of it, and a scramble for China too, for what it's worth, um, and a scramble for everything else. You know? um, so you know, all right, fair enough. Got yourself rich, you know, tick. You know, but we'll give you a bit of a a, a, a cross um, for plundering the rest of the world. You shouldn't have done that. But then, who wouldn't have? In the same situation, is another argument. Who wouldn't have? It's very hard to sort of blame people, I suppose, if they if you would have done the same thing yourself had you had the chance. And, and we know you would have, you know, because you, all your ancestors did the same thing when they did have the chance, so we know you would have. Uh, it's an accident of geography sometimes. Um, all right, so there's that. 
but nevertheless, um, yeah, the, because the Enlightenment happened and because the Europeans and all that sort of stuff were starting to come up with ideas of, hey, this isn't right, you know, all the other nations who were downtrodden by the Europeans at that time, see, the Europeans were saying, this isn't right, what we're doing. And then um, all the other mobs who were downtrodden at that particular time in history uh, suddenly went, yes, true, we damn well agree. That's not right. In fact, we'll educate you on how it feels to be downtrodden because we're the downtrodden ones at the moment. You were the downtrodden ones at another time in history, but we are at the moment. So just in this accident of history, we happen to be the downtrodden ones and we can educate you what it's like to be the downtrodden ones. Shut up and listen. And, and I, think, um, I think that's valid. And I think we should shut up and listen. As black people, now even if you're only slightly brown, you can be black now, this is new. Just get with the program, you know, um, and uh, you've got to give in. You know, I, I held off and I started saying, no, nah, that person's brown, that one's black, that's only a little bit brown, that one. And I don't care anyway. And when I've got a tan, I'm browner than that brown, brown person, you know, because I do tan up a little bit, you know. And Japanese people are white anyway, you know, and all this sort of stuff, you know. Yeah, put all that away, you know. Go to straight to, back to the colours, you know. Um... Black, white, yeah, and um, and and if you're Aboriginal, it's black B L A K. But if you're African American, it's black B L A C K. Yeah, these things shift quickly. Yeah, it'd be cultural appropriation for an African American to refer to himself as B L A K black. Yeah, because that's been uh, yeah, I know that's an American, African American kind of thing to switch the spelling for no apparent reason. Uh, but the Indigenous Australians have picked up on that and they're black B-L-A-K. Uh, but most definitely, as far as I can tell, the African-Americans are B-L-A-C-K. Yeah. What's in a word? Well, a hell of a lot. In fact, there's a lot in, even in the spelling. Yeah. If, if your name is Weekend, <laughs> there is a person called Weekend in the world, you know. If, if, you're a, if you're a Euro person, you want to call yourself Weekend, you have to spell it W. E-E-K-E-N-D but if you're an African-American or an African-African uh, you can spell it, you should spell it W-E-E-K-N-D it's all very real I know it probably sounds mad to you but this is very, you know, you, you're culturally appropriating someone if you switch the spelling you know, this sort of stuff, you know anyway, it goes on and on but the point is, colonialism look, and, and I think we can sit back and listen to how it feels to be oppressed, but I don't think it's something particular to African Americans or black people or whatever, this thing that they're talking about, that they're educating us about, they're educating us about what it was like for us when we were slaves at another time in history you know, and what brown people did to us for example you know, we, uh, for example we um, barbarians, you know, back when the brown people, you know, dominated us, you know we get, to, we get to be educated on what another mob can do to us. So we get to be educated about slavery. Yes, what, it likes to, what it's like to be uh, uh, victims of slavery. Yeah, but that isn't a white-on-black thing or a black-on-white thing, essentially. You know, you, if, if I'm going to take myself further back in time, I'll think, oh, so now I know how the Greeks felt, you know, when the Romans enslaved them all. You know, like an African-American, you've got to know how we feel. And I think some of them sort of say, you've got to know how a black man feels. I say, no, no, I'm not, yeah, all right, a black man in the modern age, but I'm thinking, how does a slave feel? 
you know, whatever colour that slave is. I don't think that's wrong. You know, it's wrong if history for you started only a couple of hundred years ago. You know, it is wrong. But if you're the sort of person like me who spends most of his time thinking about ancient history, um, you know, if you're going to talk about slavery to me, I'm not going to automatically think African-Americans in America. I'm not even in America, you know. Um, I've never been to America, you know. And I've, I've met, for, you know, pound for pound, I've met... Very, and I've, I even know some African-Africans, um, but um, I don't know if I've ever met an African-American in my life. I'm thinking about that. Marsha Hines, but only on TV. You know, I don't think I've ever met an African-American, uh, so to speak. I don't think I've ever met someone who's descended from a slave in my life, quite likely, here where I live in Australia. I'm, I'm almost certain of that. Whereas an, a, a white person in America would have met millions. Yeah, so we've got a different experience. So when you say, oh, this is what it's like to feel be a slave, I'm sort of thinking, ah. Oh. But I'm immediately thinking the slaves of Egypt, you know, and the slaves of Greece and the slaves of ancient Axum in, in Africa and the slaves of China, you know, and all that sort of stuff. I'm thinking about all those things at once and, um, and uh, African-Americans just happen to be a blip, one of the blips of, you know, that sort of behaviour. But I, I can still learn about it, you see. And, and the best people to teach me that stuff is Africans, Americans, especially African-Americans. Um, so that's that. Uh, I think, you know, it's an educative uh, process, you know, and I, should, and I have sat and I've listened and I've learned how it feels to be a Greek you know, well, not so much a Greek, maybe a Carthaginian, being enslaved, sold off for slavery by the Romans. You know, when an African-American explains what it's like to be a slave, my, my heart is not just pouring out for, you know, black people in, in the slave era. It's pouring out for the ancient Carthaginians too, you know, and everybody else who was ever enslaved. You know, when Caesar went to Gaul, you know, and enslaved a whole, and sold off a whole lot of people from, you know, the, of every city he went to and sold them off to slavery. You know, down to Africa sometimes. <laughs> Quite possibly. <laughs> I think he sold them off to the east half the time. I don't know. He sold them all around the joint. Um, so that's that. Um, and, and, um, and, and I think we've gradually come to learn because we have to be educated here. Even though we were the educators, I think we were, on the idea that slavery should be abolished, I think we taught Martin Luther King that. What Martin Luther King can teach us, you know, and, and other African-Americans and all that sort of stuff, is, oh, wow, yeah, that's right, we abolished slavery, but we rigged the world economy first. You know, we rigged the world social, political and economic order so that when we did abolish slavery, we were still on top. Oh, that was pretty sneaky. Yeah, and of course we did, because who wouldn't? You know, you know, is China not rigging, trying to rig the world order right now? Is uh, you know, OPEC, you know, the oil companies of the Middle East and all that sort of stuff, have they not been desperately rigging the world economy as much as they damn well could, you know, since the 1970s? You know, of course they have, you know. But, you know and, and it is bad that um, white people, Europeans, rigged the world economy to disadvantage all other types of people. Uh, but then, you know, there is that argument. I think there is that argument. It's not an excuse for white people, Europeans and all that sort of stuff, but they were just doing what everyone else had, in history had ever done. 
Yeah, and even when um Africa and when um, Europeans got involved in the slave trade and all that sort of stuff, they were just doing what everyone else thought was a good idea. Right throughout history, everyone was you know was aside from Indigenous Australia for reasons previously mentioned. But you know the, they weren't doing anything wrong per se for the times. I know that sounds terrible, but they were doing what you would have done if you know you guy. <laughs> In Africa, if you had the chance, you just didn't get the chance because you didn't invent you didn't invent industrialization, and that's not your fault because that was an accident of geography too. Some people have argued, um, you know, just the, the design of Europe geographically, you know, encouraged that sort of thing, uh, competition and all that sort of stuff. It's a whole other story. Uh, so that's that, yeah. And, and places like Africa are up and up and down with a, a desert in between. And it didn't lend itself to you know development of science and technology in that way you know it did for a while in the mediterranean world in ancient times because there was all that trade of ideas so there was a lot of invention back then but the real explosion was in north in europe you know um at, at this time in in this phase of you know bad things being done unto other people bad things done by some people unto other people's you know in this phase There'll be other phases too. China right now is on the verge of dominating us all. It's almost going to be, you know, it's like, oh, you, you know, black people and white people, oh, I'm sorry, blah, 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 you bad guy, oh, yeah, I know, yeah, you know, black, white, black, white, black, white, and then suddenly yellow comes along and says you're all slaves. There you go, that's how we can get you all equal. You all work for us now. And then all the white people say, oh, oops. <laughs> Oh God! We were talking about all this stuff so much we forgot that someone else, will, you know, that someone else would rise up and dominate us. It's our turn again. We're going to cop it in the neck, and the, you know, the Africans sort of say, "Ah, oh, now you're a slave with us," and we say, "Yeah, we know. Damn it, you know." And uh, see, now you know how it feels. And I said, "Yeah, but now you still know how it feels." Oh dear. Uh-huh. I think that's the next phase. Uh, Hong Kong is giving me that sort of idea. Uh, do you know children aren't allowed to sing? Lame is, can you hear the people sing at the moment? A law came in overnight, as far as I can tell, in China, banning children from all political singing. Singing! You know, they can't sing anything politically. And uh, we, can you hear the people sing? You know, the French Revolution thing, which is where it all started anyway, like I mentioned before. Um, I'm pretty sure Hong Kong students aren't allowed to sing that in the playground today. Welcome to mainland China, everybody. You know, my wife loves Les Mis, and so does my daughter. Um, they, I can imagine that my daughter's children won't be allowed to sing that. You know? So, you know, we might achieve reconciliation with the indigenous people and with Africans and all that sort of stuff by all becoming slaves together. And, you know, and that's one way of achieving egalitarianism. Um, and, and we might even be slaves, which sounds mad, but we're in the middle of a um, pandemic at the moment. And if the world economy crashes like I think it will, if we don't find a vaccine, and I mean crashes hard, you know, because we're living on borrowed time at the moment, we're, we're doing economic stimuli, you know, throwing money at this problem that we've got at the moment, the money will run out eventually. And when it does, we could have the most super depression you ever imagined. Pandemics have brought civilizations down before. In fact, a pandemic had a, a very big hand in the fall of Rome, you know, plagues ripping through the Roman legions. You know, when Rome did fall, you know, it wasn't only Rome's fault, you know, for getting soft. You know, they got soft, but then they got hard again from time to time, and then they got soft again, they got hard. It wasn't... And a steady decline. 
a steady decline and fall. And, you know, and there was a pretty critical moment there where a plague ripped through the legions and left, you know, and, and left them sitting ducks, you know. So these things can happen, and we, it could happen to us now. And I think China is taking, mainland China is taking a, a fair bit of advantage out of the current pandemic. And I think we're more on our knees than we look. It doesn't feel like that right now, standing outside my house. But, you know, I could lose this house and, um, you know, and I could thank China for the privilege of being a slave. That could happen. We'll, we'll find out at some stage, won't we? Um, that's one way of uh, achieving equality. Okay. Uh, but who educates who, you know? And um, I think we all educate each other. We all learn, you know, eventually. And, um, and it's a question of also, um, you know, you can be at the forefront of the education and learning process. You know, like Captain Cook, I almost mentioned him a while ago. Um, you know, he was kind of at the more enlightened end of everybody that existed at that time, relevant people anyway, um, you know, and he was, he was the sort of person back then you'd put a statue up for, you know, because he was actually a pretty good guy. You know, he was brutal and strict, had to be. Have you ever been a ship's captain? Have you ever sat? Have you ever visited the uh, replica of the Endeavour, his ship? Yeah. You try and um, keep a, a team of men um, on that ship you know, without everybody actually slaughtering each other. You have to be a strict disciplinarian and all that sort of stuff. And going right around the world for six months or a year, you know. Um, you have to crawl into your slot, you know, slave-like, to go to sleep at night whilst you're seasick and all that sort of stuff. But not so much scurvy on that occasion. He brought some limes. Okay, so there's all that. Uh, but, you know, Captain Cook... You know, kind of at the enlightened era. Shot an Aborigine. First Aborigine he met. You know, you see that as a headline sometimes. He shot an Aborigine, the first Aborigine he met. Yeah, but it was buckshot. <laughs> and the guy ran away. You know, it was, it was almost like he tasered him. He shouldn't have tasered him. Oh, come on. The Spanish wiped out millions. <laughs> shot one guy. So what? So what? <laughs> hey, context, context, you know. Um, okay. Now, um... And and, uh, and people just skim over the fact that, you know, it was more a warning shot. You know, like he got him. <laughs> oh, dear. Yeah. But he didn't massacre the whole tribe like some, like the Spanish would have. <laughs> okay. Now, that, anyway, look, he was at the enlightened end of, you know, of all people back then. And, you know, there's statues for him. Now you could pull it down. You could pull down these statues now because even if you were at the very enlightened end, the best person on the planet, even if you were the best person on the planet, you are still a member of what is in the 21st century a bad mob. You know, even if you were the person that pushed us in, you know, one of the enlightened people that pushed us in the direction of anti-slavery and all the good things that are around in the world, you know, you know, on one level, there should be a statue for you because you were one of the science people and all that. Yeah, he was a scientist primarily, Captain Cook and all that sort of stuff, an explorer, you know, not a conqueror. Um, but, you know, he was part of the conquering machine um, and, and did agree with it, but he was on the enlightened end anyway. Uh, but what happens here is you rip down his statue, um, you know, because anti-slavery and anti-colonialism and rigged world economies and everything are the thing today. You know, Black Lives Matter and all that sort of stuff, you know, much like Greek Lives Matter, you know, back in 2000, you know, um, 
2140 years ago, you know, 2160 years ago, uh, when the Greeks were taken over by the Romans, Greek lives matter, you know, but now black lives matter, you know. Uh, so, um, and, and at the moment, you can be rich, for example, and I'm rich. I mean, you too, probably, listening, you're rich, compared to a, a family that's absolutely just starving to death right now. Um, but we're still enjoying our coffees down at the local shop. Uh, El Fresco Cappuccino. Now, right at the moment, you don't see... I don't think you see anything wrong with that, especially if you're a bit of an activist and you're, you know, you're dropping off food parcels to the towers who are locked down under the pandemic at the moment and you're a good person and all that sort of stuff. You're a wonderful person, all that sort of stuff, but you're still rich, you know, and I'm talking about myself. Um, now, at the moment, you, you might think, yeah, they should put a statue up of me because I'm about the best there is. You know, you might think that. Um, and then, you know, that's probably what Captain Cook thought. Listen, I'm about as good a man as can be. He's a good man as well, you know. I heard a song called that. He's a good man as well, you know. <laughs> that was Angelina Jolie's uncle. I forget his name. He sang that. Um, you're a good man in your own context, or a good woman. Um, but 200 years from now... It might not be colonialism and slavery and everything that's the big thing and black lives matter. It might be poor lives matter. Poverty lives matter. Now, it, now I know that sounds wrong to sort of say that at the moment because we don't care about, not much, you know, not enough uh, about kids dying of hunger. Do you know what that feels like? Well, I don't. I need to be educated, you know. But it's shocking, apparently. Um, actually dying, watching your child die in front of your eyes of starvation. Now, that's what I call a preventable illness, you know. Now, but we're living in luxury. We really are. Even what the people who think they're poor in Australia are living in luxury. Half of them are fat. You know, I'm in under below the poverty line. But you're fat, <laughs> you know. Um, so how does that work, <laughs> you know? Anyway, um, and it's not a bloated stomach like a kid dying of starvation, you know, because that's just gas. You're actually just fat from Twinkies. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, uh, so 200 years from now, and it could happen. There could be a statue to you. Yeah, let's say you're the actual, yeah, you're Meryl Streep. Uh, all right, there are, there, are, there's this, there are hundreds of stars on the Hollywood Walk of Fame, right? And most of them are beautiful people in the modern sense. Beautiful people. Meryl Streep, Paul McCartney, well, look, he's probably not there but he's famous anyway look but they've all, all these celebrities and everything they've all got statues those statues are called their movies and their celebrity and the stars on hollywood walks and all that sort of stuff you know um and their presence in the world that's their statues their fame is their statue um and their memory you know is is their fame is their statue you know um, but you can imagine in 200 years' time when it's not Black Lives Matter, but it's Poverty Lives Matter. You know, at that point in time when we have solved poverty, imagine we solve poverty in 200 years. Maybe the Chinese will, you know. If we solve, completely solve, so it will be an absolute anathema to us that anyone could ever have been hungry. We could say, why didn't you do this 200 years ago? Look at us. There's no one dying of hunger in the year 2220. Two, you know, there's no one dying of hunger. Oh my God, we just checked back in history, and Meryl Streep was super wealthy, 
eating you know, the highest class foods available to man while people starved and she was calling herself a good person. And so were you, Charlie's Redbow. I cannot believe this. Rip down their statues. Now, um, they say there's no statue to Meryl Streep. Ah, yes, but there's all her movies and everything. Right, delete them. All those movies of Meryl Streep's off the world database, even though she was gunning for all the right things and she was the champion of about 18 um, activist causes, we are going to damn her memory. We are going to delete every image of her in the world that still exists and every movie she ever did and every utterance and every song she ever sang. Those are her statues and we're going to delete them all. She is evil in the same way that they ripped down Captain Cook's statue in 2020. You know, for the same reason. You know, because in 2222, poverty lives matter. That seems a nice place to finish that episode.